right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the Doctor Amongst Men, Duncan Joyce from Then Now Whatever. How's it going, Duncan? Not too bad over here. Um, pretty bright day. How's things going for you, Lee? Cannot really complain. All is going pretty well over here in Oz right now, so um, compared to the rest of the world, we've got it pretty easy where I am, so definitely no complaints. Ah, cool. We're about to head into some further restrictions over here. It's it's a bit grim. Um, so I'm trying to think of all of the non-essential business that I need to get through over the next two or three days. Oh, best of luck to you, mate. It's um pretty mind-numbing at times, and you know I guess you can it could always be worse. But I definitely don't envy you going back into lockdown for a second time. No, um, I mean, work won't be too affected, um, so that's the most important thing, really. As long as you're keeping well and you get through it, then we'll survive just like last time, eh? Yeah, fingers crossed. For now, I guess we uh, better tell everyone what we're here for. We're here to review the September 9, 1999 episode of Smackdown and Thunder, picking up where we left off a little while back. Were you looking forward to these two shows, Dunk? I had a sneaky suspicion of something that was coming up on SmackDown that I was looking forward to. Thunder, slightly less so, because I figured with them being live last week, this is going to be the tape delay one that was taped the same day, and it's going to be less exciting. But um, I, I tried to hold off on any preconceptions that I had going into this. Yeah, I um, thankfully knew nothing about it going in, so... Um... At the very least, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't dreading it and putting it off for a long time, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's always a, a pain. Wrestling shouldn't be a pain and a, and a dread. Yeah, and these two shows, obviously, we'll get into in a moment, but um, very, very early days in both. But um, one definitely feels like a joy and the other feels like a chore already. So it's easy to see why the ratings slip the way they do. <laughs> that's true. Speaking of the ratings, um, SmackDown on this night, so night two, not counting the pilot, drew a 3.74 compared to Thunder's 1.9. So we're already dwarfing the opposition ratings pretty early doors. Oh, yeah, that that's quite a gap. For a brand new show, yeah, absolutely. So uh, well, I guess we'll, uh, it's our job now to go in and see if that's justified. Um, which show did you watch first, Dunk? I, like a good boy, I got my chores done before I got to my treat and I looked at Thunder first. <laughs> you know that I did not, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to head over to Thunder first. So Thunder starts off um, with a little title graphic saying, in memory of Mark Curtis, the WCW referee who had recently passed away. And that was pretty classy, to be fair. So um, that was nice to see them open up with that off the bat. Yeah, nice touch of class there. It's always a bit of a, um, it, it, nothing really rallies the troops more than WWE ignoring someone's passing, which they tend to do oddly from time to time. So it's nice when people get the proper respect. Um, commentary team for Thunder at the moment is Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco. Didn't mind this team, to be fair. Not the best, but they were decent and, you know, they were listenable all the way through, which is a step up on a lot of commentary teams, both back then and now. There's a, there's a bit of a, a second string feel to them at times, I think. 
Oh, for sure. I, I guess for me, at least it's nice to hear a couple of people that you know and recognize rather than, you know, celebrity smile of the week that WWE tends to have on at times. <laughs> and we open up the show with a very, um, a very WCW in 1999 match of Barbarian with Jimmy Hart and Barbarian's got some fresh dreadlocks to take on Buff Bagwell. Yeah, Zabisco quipped when Bagwell came out. Speaking of star power on Thunder. Yeah, not quite. Um, speaking of the commentary team talking about the star power here, they try very quickly to sell us on the um, Buff Bagwell versus Berlin feud. Oh, man, I could not think of anything more. 1999, the Buff Bagwell and Alex Wright in a feud. Freaking 1989 for the sounds of this feud. Look, Buff's apparently been barraged with anti-american propaganda from berlin who refuses to speak the english language because it disgusts him this is very i think i said this last time but this is very very much a repackage of ludwig borger oh for sure and you know to be fair if you're gonna have a if you're gonna be anti-american against anyone you might as well go anti-american against an american male yeah, that is very true. The match gets started with a clothesline for a buff. Uh, distractions all around from Jimmy Hart. This allows Barbarian to come back with a clothesline and a sidewalk slam for a two count. Buff hits the Barbarian with a crossbody for a two before Jimmy Hart very sloppily throws in a foreign object, which Buff Bagwell easily intercepts because Barbarian was lay on the ground and in no position to catch it, nails the Barbarian with it behind the referee's back and picks up the one, two, three in what? was a pretty lazily booked finish for my liking. The match was nothing to write home about. It was short, but this finish was pretty awful. Yeah, this is your very definition of an unrefined TV match here. I thought you were being kind of modest, skipping straight to the action when we had about 30 seconds of both men posing in the corners and people would cheer buff and boo Barbarian. And then Bagwell actually got gassed by his own posing and that allowed Barbarian to attack. <laughs> yeah, it was um not great. No. It was just over a note that Sting and Lex Luger established themselves as true wrestling superstars. In March of 1988, Sting battled Ric Flair on even terms at the first clash of the champions, putting himself on the wrestling map. Just four months later, Luger made his mark in a world's title match with Flair at the Great American Bash. The two joined forces that same year to capture the Crockett Cup Tag Team Tournament. But that's just the beginning of an amazing string of parallels that seem to draw these two incredible athletes together. Both began their careers in 1985 and both won their first world heavyweight titles at the Great American Bash. In 1990, Sting wore the gold that represents the most prestigious title in our sport when he defeated Ric Flair. Just one year later at the same bash event, Lex Luger beat Barry Windham to stake his claim as the world's heavyweight title holder for the very first time. And don't forget the fact, these two men have mastered two of the most lethal finishing moves in wrestling, Luger's torture rack and Sting's variations of the Scorpion. Lex and Sting have even been business partners, forming a team away from the ring. The mid-90s saw Sting and Luger on the winning side at War Games 95. They were even involved in a triangle match that same year at Starcade. Amazingly, it wasn't until 1996 that they won the world's tag team titles for the first time when they knocked off Harlem Heat. That victory led to a five-month reign where they dominated the tag team ranks.
Bucks. Mistrust between the two surfaced shortly thereafter on a Monday Nitro when we all thought that Sting had attacked Luger. At Fall Brawl, the realization set in that an imposter, Sting, was merely a product of the New World Order. The lack of loyalty led Sting to declare himself a free agent with no ties to either WCW or the NWO. And uncertainty prevailed for months as a mysterious Sting looked down on the wrestling world. His triumphant return at Starcade 97 not only once again gained him the world's title, but another association with Lex Luger, as Randy Savage discovered at Sold Out, and the NWO fell firsthand in Panama City, Florida. In May of last year, the NWO Wolfpack was formed. Lex Luger joined and promised to recruit Sting. That promise led to Sting becoming an NWO Red and Black member. Adversity and changes in the pack once again caused the two to separate, but joined together. Sting and Luger seemed to push each other to even higher levels of achievement. From there, we go to a commercial and we come back and we saw something that I did enjoy. This was probably the first part of Thunder that I liked, the Sting Lex Luger uh, retrospective, which really gave a good recap of their parallels and history together spanning uh, about 10 years at this point. I really enjoyed this video package. What did you think, Dung? Yeah, you, you don't really associate WCW with doing a deep dive into their own history at this point. I thought it was pretty interesting. It was slightly let down by the announcer when they're comparing the submission moves talking about Sting's variations of the Scorpion. I must have missed that. I was um, just enjoying the little walk down memory lane. Maybe I was a bit more forgiving than you this week. (laughs) Yeah, but it was a very good package overall, and it's it's nice to see them draw these parallels. Um, We also had, uh, before the break, the show clips of Berlin... (laughs) speaking through his translator on Nitro, and his translator called WCW the WCW. Oh, I caught that. That was so, so good. And I'm, I I know, like, I don't speak German, but I'm sure he said, like, did he, uh, maybe I misheard this, but I'm sure he said, like, Mein Kampf in there at some point. Now, I didn't pick up anything from that translator that came across that way when she was speaking. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Mein Kampf uh, translates to my struggle. Ah, um, okay. So I'm not sure like whether Berlin was trying to get across that he had some sort of, uh, you know, um, like the WCW machine was kind of against him or something. Yeah, a little, <laughs> a little off all round though. Um, not great. <laughs> And speaking of not great, we go to our second That's So Thunder match of the episode. It's Van Hammer versus Blitzkrieg. Like, how is this on TV in 1999? Yeah, yet more German here with Blitzkrieg. Yeah. And um, a total mismatch. It's Van Hammer early on with power moves as Blitzkrieg tries to hit and run as best he can. Van Hammer hits a press slam and a back suplex, a slam, an elbow, a suplex. And we um, see on the screen the countdown to EA Sports WCW Mayhem, which Tanae and Zabisco, the two pro video gamers, I can imagine, told us was going to revolutionize the video game industry. Needless <laughs> to say, looking back on history, that did not happen. <laughs> it's so weird hearing Zabisco trying to put over, you know, technology is moving so fast nowadays. <laughs> They've like got the buddy- internet on computers now. <laughs> Just this bloody 
early 80s wrestler trying to put over modern technology is so strange. Yeah, it, it didn't did you, sell me. <laughs> well, did you hear what else they were trying to say? They were trying to sell you on commentary. No. They were putting over building up towards a Bret Hart Hulk Hogan feud. Oh, yes, yes, they were. Um, and it's strange, though, because they're also going towards Hulk Hogan Sting and Sid's supposedly going to mow down Goldberg and Hulk Hogan. So I really struggled to figure out what direction they were heading through all this. I guess it's just the Hogan's the champ. People have the, you know, the target on the champ. With Bret in particular, I thought it, it was absolutely fascinating hearing them talk about this potential match. And he obviously had a bit of, of a sabbatical after Owen's passing. And they're trying to make out, or he's trying to make out, like he can't come back and he won't come back unless it's against Hulk. Oh, that, that doesn't bode too well for him then, does it? No. Uh, back to the match. We've got um, a springboard dropkick. They brawl on the outside. As they're on the outside, Duncan, did you notice the plain grey ring apron like a dirty house show? Yes. Um, this kind of still fits in with... Do you remember when Thunder first got started and it was just like the Dungeon of Doom set? Yeah, spared some expense. (laughs) (laughs) We get an acai moonsault from Blitzkrieg, and then Van Hammer has enough and locks him in a Cobra clutch and pretty weak-looking slam out of it for the 1-2-3. This, for me, registered only slightly on the Hammerlock scale, registering it at a 2 out of 10, just a match that you would, you know, struggle to open a house show with on a B market. Didn't love it at all as we go out to commercial. I was going to ask if you were going to put it on the Hammerlock scale just because it's Van Hammer. Yeah, I don't want to be too brutal because there was nothing technically wrong with it, but neither guy was over. It was a complete mismatch and it was and it counted for nothing and went too long. So it got a, it got a nomination without going crazy. I'm much more forgiving on this match than you, I think. I thought Blitzkrieg almost dragged it up to something serviceable. serviceable. Van Hammer was very, very run-of-the-mill. He did this beal off a second rope, and Zabisco was trying to make out, oh, he's 20 feet in the air! Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) To me, Blitzkrieg, I don't know, like, you you think, oh, you see some of the WCW cruiserweights and you can give them a pass. Blitzkrieg had, like, maybe it was just me and I was delusional, but he looked pretty old from the face that was showing under that mask. His face reminded me of the Macho Midget when Dink put on the Macho Man mask for that episode of Raw in 94. Oh, no. I I rather liked him. Um, He did a springboard dropkick that was absolutely on the button, like, picture-perfect aim there and there was a one spot that i liked where okay blitzkrieg a bit stupid going for a backslide but it was blocked and whirled around into a clothesline i thought that was quite neat but as you say van hammer is pretty shit there was one worrying suplex he did where he kind of dropped blitzkrieg far too soon yeah he's got no business being on tv in 99 (laughs) <laughs> fast forward to 2000 and he's what private stash or something oh god i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Our next match um, has a bit of an interesting combination here. We've got Gentleman Chris Adams with Steve Regal and Dave Taylor taking on the Revolutions, Chris Benoit, Shane Douglas, and Perry Satin. Now, this was a six-man tag match I did not expect to see. Yeah, this is all stemming off of last week's shenanigans. Um, Who was it? I think it was Taylor and Douglas had a match, and there was all shenanigans post-match, so just sticking them all in one match here. We get a very small glimpse of really cool chain wrestling between Regal and Benoit early, and Benoit ends it with a German suplex. Dave Taylor comes in and hits a series of sort of half drop kicks, half head scissors. Um, you know, like he sort of puts one foot behind the head, and then in the drop kick motion, that's enough to send them flipping forwards. I'm not sure it's perfectly logical, but it looked cool. I know. I, I found that pretty weird. The, the, it looks like it was starting off as a drop kick and then all oh, he twirls them around. And by the way, David Taylor is one ugly looking man. <laughs> he surely is. And this is the first part of the show for this week where I noticed how bad the piped in crowd noise is. Mm, yeah. There's there's more of that working against them, especially revolving around the revolution later on in the night. Yeah, there's like loud pops where you can clearly see nobody making a sound on the hard camera at this in this match. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame because there's some pretty good action. Um, it's not too bad of a match. Shane Douglas hits a nice power slam for two. We get a um, Chris Adams clothesline, a backdrop, and then a nice looking super kick for a two. We get the lukewarm tag to Benoit. It, it f- sort of falls into a six-man brawl. Benoit hits a nice snap suplex of the top rope headbutt and then does the old WCW um, NWO revenge version of the crossface where he picks him up um, like it's going to be a suplex and spins it into the crossface for no reason. But really cool to see that move actually live and in the flesh and that gets a tap-out victory in a decent match. Yeah, fine, really. Didn't outstay its welcome. The heels were pretty serviceable and Benoit in particular was very good bit dodgy in the closing stretch where it all broke down and Regal basically threw himself over the top rope, but that's the only real misstep here. Yeah, decent, decent. For for what we've seen on Thunder, this is one of the better matches. We then go to Lodi with Lenny, the Cruiserweight Champion, taking on Kaz Hayashi, who will take on Lenny at the pay-per-view for the Cruiserweight title. Lenny and Lodi come out decked in glitter with blow pops that they suck arm in arm just to really drive home the point. And then did you see Lodi's sign as well? I saw the one that said, my signs are better than yours. Is there another one that I've missed? Yeah, I think it was on the reverse of that. Lodi wrote, are we ambiguous enough now? Oh, God. This is, um, yep, they've, they've been given a character and they're going to drive it into the ground. It's basically just the Early ambiguously on. gay duo from SNL. Yeah, pretty much. Kaz nails Lodi um, and then hits a plancher on Lenny on the outside. Lodi hits a snap suplex for a two. They brawl on the outside. We get a clothesline at a power slam from Lodi. A second rope bulldog, which only got a two, and I actually, like, they both came off the second rope. That definitely should have been a finisher, but decent spot nonetheless. A jawbreaker from Kaz, and then we get some botched interference, including a attempted seduction by Lenny, trying to, the old Deborah spot, get on the apron and, you know, <laughs> arouse the opponent. Did not work for some reason. Leads to a Kaz Hayashi roll-up for the one, two, three in a, another pretty meh match that didn't really do anything for me. Oh, for sure. Very boring, especially while Lodi controlled. Um, there was a 
borderline exciting start, but then the closing stretch was just really, really poor, like you say. The second rope bulldog was the best thing in this match. Did yeah. you notice Kaz's trunks or tights? I can't say I did. He had a rather Triple H-looking iron cross on them. Oh. Somewhere a young Kyle was screaming gimmick infringement. <laughs> <laughs> we then go into um, commercial break, and when we come back, it's a recap of the Sting-Hulk Hogan recent friendship and Hulk offering Sting a title shot. Um the storyline going on here, which we'll see several recaps sort of alluding to throughout the night, is that Hogan's turned good, Sting's backed him, Hogan's got the belt and is promising Sting a title shot now. I think that's about the long and the short of it. Did I miss anything in that in that weave there? Storyline-wise, that's, that's pretty much spot on. I thought the start of this was rather curious because it seemed to start with Hogan telling his son he loves him. Yeah, that was weird, like, into the camera, like... It was almost as though he'd promised Nick he wouldn't turn heel again or something. Yeah. That's, I don't really understand the connection there. Like, maybe Nick was a big Sting fan or something. Yeah, who knows? But um, a bit of a weird one. Mm. It's Hulk Hogan in red and yellow, which in 1999, I can remember, I would have been oh, about 16, and I thought it was the lamest thing going that Hogan had gone back to the red and yellow. Oh, it's really passe by this point. I was a personally a fan of him in his like street fighter clothes when he was against the New Blood. I can't say I recall that. I think I'd completely checked out by then. This Hogan here, because he's you know so much leaner and he's gone back to the the trunks in the red and yellow. He's not gone to like the long tights yet. He just reminds me of that Pasta Mania photo whenever I see him in this era. <laughs> The, f- the first memory I have of this Hulk Hogan in red and yellow was is there was this one match he had with Ric Flair on Nitro and they showed it on Worldwide and I thought it was just like laughable, just like two old men just having it out in their underwear. I was not a fan. Little, little did we know 11 years later they'd be feuding again and you and I would be recapping it. Oh boy. <laughs> From there, we go to, um, it's a jobber match. It's Adrian Bird and Bobby Blaze in a handicap taking on Sid. Um, side note, before we get into Sid, the Millennium Man, and, you know, I actually, I, I think I said on the last episode that I enjoy this storyline. It just dawned on me watching this show, Duncan. What did Sid do for all of 1998? Play baseball? <laughs> He must have done. Like, I'm kind of used to him coming and going in all these promotions, but it just, I realised, like, he was out of the Fed in 97. He wasn't back in WCW until 99. Did he just take a year off? Yeah, it beats me. Because I know he was in ECW for a spell, but I'm pretty sure that was 1999 as well. Mm, He must have just saved his money and chilled out for a bit. Maybe he just got his years mixed up. (laughs) <laughs> and he, he thought it was 2000 already yeah quite possibly um the millennium waits for the storyline not for the actual date <laughs> <laughs> so he nails one of the jobbers and then choke slams the other gets the other one back a hold and power bombs him for a three um then we get a really awkward his music's playing but because it's thunder on the network it's the wrong music and it's a bad overdub he power bombs the other jobber and pins him, which Charles Robinson counts for him. And he 
attempts to cut a promo whilst asking for the music to stay on, which means I can't understand a word of what he says. Yep, couldn't hear a damn thing. The only entertainment I made in this match was for myself. One of the jobbers was shit canned out of a ring, and it was Adam. Uh, it was Adrian Bird. So I quipped, "Bird flew out of the ring." <laughs> That's as entertaining as this got. Yeah. We then get um, another. Th- this happened on the last show too, but it's this awkwardness of the Revolution coming out to cut a promo after you know, uh, they'd been out earlier and before they come out again later, I just, oh, the formatting's all wrong here and it annoys me. Um, Dean Malenko has the TV title, even though we find out Rick Steiner is a TV champion. He cuts the promo. Um, it's, uh, as I said, it's still odd that they come out between. And then Shane Douglas wraps up with a bit of a hype and attempts to get some revolution catchphrases over, of which I will splice a little bit in here. Yeah, so this is something that I missed in all the chaos of last week. Apparently, Malenko took that TV title just because it was lying around during one of Rick Steiner's run-ins, which is kind of heelish, and he sounded pretty heelish on this promo as well. Kind of mixed messages here. The other thing as well, they're they're still in Michigan for this show, and Rick Steiner, of course, a University of Michigan alum. It's kind of 
treading dangerous lines here. Yeah, I, I the other thing I guess that I caught out of all this as well is Rick Steiner's due to face Perry Satin at the pay-per-view for the TV title, but because Dean Belenko's kept the belt, he's now getting a shot tonight. If you were Satin, you'd be a little bit annoyed, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's kind of mixed messages. But then again, you know, as Douglas say, as Douglas says, they've got an addiction to gold, so maybe Perry's going to have to be a, a forgiving friend here. Like, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but for wrestling gold. <laughs> oh, by oh, the way, the other, the other important point of this promo is Malenko uh, addressed Sid and said, oh, it's not going to matter if you try and interfere because all of my revolution teammates will be there and will fend you off. Mm, we'll see how that goes. Uh-huh. We go to a TV break, uh, sorry, a commercial, and then when we come back, it's Barry Windham taking on Booker T. Barry Windham's out with the West, Te- West Texas Rednecks, can't speak tonight, and Booker T's out with Stevie Ray, who looks absolutely jacked here. If you want as clear an indication as possible that you have messed up and put the wrong guy shuffled back into the tag team scene in the mid-card when he should have been a massive single star. Just look at how fucking crazy the fans at ringside go when Booker T goes and acknowledges them all. They love him. Short of Goldberg later on, he's the most over person on the show by some way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did you notice this time around the fake cowboy boots on Barry Windham? Oh, I forgot to look. Uh, oh, the title's got in again. the way. <laughs> He's got, like, cowboy boot kick pads over his dad's shoes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, Booker T's in control early. Hits a nice forearm. But Barry Windham does benefit for some, from some outside interference, of which there is plenty, lots of distractions and numbers game. He hits a really nice-looking DDT and then a suplex for a two-count. We get a hip toss before Booker T fights back with a nice axe kick and a scissor kick, a back suplex and a spinner-rooney before the West Texas Rednecks decide is en- enough is enough and jump in the ring for the DQ ending, as we are getting used to. Uh, yeah, it's getting tiresome now. Like, all throughout the match, the interference spots were really tiresome, really. Booker T's moveset was the only highlight of this. If you think about how Booker's in there with Barry Windham, former NWA champion, if... Just imagine him wrestling Wyndham closer to his prime. It could have been like another moment when like he was wrestling Martel all the time earlier on in his singles run. Yeah. It definitely had a lot more potential a few years earlier. Mm. We get another recap of the Sting and Hulk Hogan angle, um, this time centering around whether or not Hulk Hogan was driving the White Hummer, and we're still left with more questions than answers on that one. Yeah, someone attacked Sting with the lights out in the locker room and Brett Hogan and Luger were the only other people there. And they're all blaming each other, or Hulk and Luger are blaming each other anyway. Brett was sat down and wasn't too interested. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a very good description of Brett's WCW run. He was sat down (laughs) and he was not very interested. I'm surprised he was there on time for the pre-tape, to be fair. Oh, well. Yeah, if you ask me, red and yellow's pretty sus here. Yeah, I sense a Hogan heel turn coming, but I actually don't know the outcome, so I'm a little interested to see where it goes. 
We get a Rick Steiner promo on Dean Malenko. This is really a nothing promo. Rick Steiner coming out to cut solo promos in the ring was never my cup of tea. He gets his catchphrase over, though. Was it um, bite me or something? Uh, yeah, it's a, if you don't like me, bite me. Yeah. <laughs> and then he defends his TV title, which he's not currently in possession of, against Dean Malenko. We get a commercial right as the match is starting, which is really annoying. I always hate when that happens. <laughs> um, did you spot Malenko coming out to the ring? Um, no, I can't say I did. Do you spot who was not with him? Oh, none of the revolution. I'm going to get to that shortly. <laughs> <Yes>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the match doesn't last long. We get a, a leg lariat from Malenko and a slam from Steiner. And then Sid comes out for moral support, which doesn't last long. Steiner hits a belly to belly and Sid gets in and choke slams Dean Malenko. And in a classic example of wrestling logic, the revolution come out to make the save. Only Duncan, what's the problem with the way they enter? <laughs> they come in one after the other like bloody B-movie villains so that the heroes can kick their asses one by one. Yeah, no story as to why they wouldn't all just come out at the same time. They were all expecting this interference. They made mention of it in their promo five minutes earlier. None of them have got a match to warm up for, but they come out one at a time so they can all eat the beatdown from Sid. Yeah, they get a tiny bit of the heat back when uh, Saturn shit cans Sid over the top. But the, that's it, basically. Steiner gets his belt back, and then in a really cringy moment, which shows why Benoit always had the knock of not being a promo man, he looks into the camera after all this and goes, The Millennium don't belong to no man. It belongs to a revolution. Oh, so bad. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Oh, we go into a commercial, and when we come back, it's time for our main event. Um, this here, I'll, I'll I'll run through the batch quickly, and then I'll go into my thoughts because I've got some thoughts on this. Um, first of all, Bam Bam, it's Bam Bam Bigelow versus Goldberg. Bam Bam, part of the New Jersey Triad with DDP and oh, I'm drawing a blank. Who's the third member of their stable, Duncan? Who better than Canyon? There you go. How did I forget Canyon? Um, anywho, Bam Bam's wrestling in a t-shirt like a big jobber. And the match gets started. Goldberg hits a slam. Bam Bam stalls a lot. He goes for a crossbody and Goldberg catches him in a really impressive spot and hits like a world's strongest slam. Locks in an armbar, but Bam Bam gets to the ropes. He has no offense, however. Accidentally nails the referee. Gives Goldberg an eye poke for Bam Bam's most effective move in the match. And then Goldberg no-sells a heap of shots. Hits him with a super kick before DDP comes out. They whip Goldberg to the ropes for a double clothesline. Goldberg ducks underneath and spears Bam Bam. DDP bolts. Goldberg hits a jackhammer for the one, two, three before DDP comes in with a chair um, to get the beat down on Goldberg. But this match, could they have made Bam Bam Bigelow look like any more of a jabroni? Like, he was pathetic in this match. And for that, it earns one of my two dick moves of the week this week for Goldberg, giving a legend like Bam Bam zero offense. He had absolutely none of it, did he? He didn't hit one move that wasn't an eye poke. I know. They point out on commentary like, oh, this is a rematch from Slamboree. Bam Bam meant a lot more when he came in at Slamboree, I guarantee you that. Although, like you say, Bam Bam just took everything. 
my dick move of the night was it clearly didn't affect him all that much because immediately after DDP made the save, he's up and walking about like fuck all happened, Road Warriors style. Well, I wouldn't sell for that dickhead after he didn't sell any of my moves or match either. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was quite was... entertained by this, to be honest. I did not like Bam Bam's no selling at the end. I did not like it was that it was so one sided. I did not like how second rate Bam Bam looked in terms of his gear. But there was some cool stuff here. Like you say when Goldberg caught the cross body and turned it into the slam. That was an amazing spot. Yeah, that's that's probably part of what annoys me so much though. Like Goldberg's offense in this was awesome. He looked brilliant. Would it have killed him to take a, a power slam and a drop kick off Bam Bam Bigelow in a five-minute TV match? Like, give him three moves and then go through him. But to give him absolutely nothing in the main event, it was just... Uh, it, it just annoyed me. Bam Bam is a guy that I think is criminally underrated, and for him to not get a single offensive move on Goldberg just wound me up. That's certainly true. It was not a main event type match. Although I don't think Bam Bam was really quite aware of himself early on. When he was coming out and he heard the crowd react to him, he's like, yeah, that's right, Detroit. They're in Saginaw. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Bam Bam. He did himself no favours. <laughs> he did not. But, yeah, I guess, like, I will say, because I, I think we're and this is probably going to keep happening, so I don't want to apologize for it too often, but I get the feeling we're going to be in a love SmackDown, hate Thunder mode for a while. But this episode of Thunder at least was an easy watch. Like, there was a couple of things I really didn't like on it, but everything else was at least passable and quick. So as far as episodes of Thunder go, so far this is one of the better ones. Yeah, what I will give them credit for is... This is the go-home show for Fall Brawl. And they made me aware of everything that was going on at Fall Brawl. You know, you had Bagwell and Berlin. You had the Revolutions matches coming up were all built. You had the Cruiserweight title match, Kaz and Lenny. They gave you video packages of the world title match, the Sting and Hogan match. You have the tag title match that was built up at Sid and Benoit and then to close the show, Goldberg and DDP. Like it it makes you realise that given how much of the card they were promoting with actual active in ring matches, they put quite an effort in terms of the roster that was there. But for some reason it still felt pretty second rate even though it was only the world title feud that didn't turn up in person. Yeah, it just, um, I, I don't know. I think they just, they had an opportunity to do more and they really just didn't do it. Yeah, it's part of it will be the taping schedule, but there's a lot of buying numbers stuff here. And then you have stuff like the the Rick Steiner and Dima Malenko match, which was my absolute least favourite part of the show. Just complete nonsense. Yeah, it's... Um, I guess we're probably heading more in the territory of, of knocking them now, so I'm going to take my foot off the gas and say at least it was watchable as we head into halftime. <laughs> yes, I'll agree. It was easy to watch in one sitting. Peace. 
Peace God, now this shit is explained I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane It's like that y'all, it's like that y'all Duncan, at this point of the show, we always chat about some wrestling memorabilia of some sort. Have you got anything in mind that you wanted to speak about today? Oh, I do, actually. I've been meaning to bring it up a couple of times now. Um, I'm just going to look up the exact name of it. There's this really, really cool comic book all about the history of pro wrestling. It's by Aubrey Citizen. Um... It's called The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling. And it's just an absolutely awesome run rundown of all of the different parts of pro wrestling, like Lucha Libre, and, uh, how it got set up in Japan and America. And it's just a fabulous... You probably might have seen going around on Twitter, there's a cartoon of all of the original... NWA territories, and if you've seen that, then see that you'll have to tag me in it. Yeah, I'll have to. Um, I have to see if it can, if I can find a, a copy of it. But yeah, um, I got it just for the Kindle. It was great, and uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. The comic book story of professional wrestling by Aubrey Citizen, who was a former editor at Marvel. Oh. All right, well, I'll have to check that out. Um, everybody else, do the same. All right, so with the um, the merch talk done and dusted, we head over to see what SmackDown's got to offer. Um, still very, very early days here, and we just get signs galore. couple that I picked up on this week was Finkel is SmackDown, China Fan Club, <laughs> and Can I See Puppies? Did you pick any others, Duncan? No, I got the Finkel one. He's been running roughshod on the, this show for the past couple of weeks anyway. I have a feeling it's going to come to an end very soon, but we'll get more oh. on that later. <laughs> and our commentary team is still Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole for now. When we get started, we're in the parking lot. China and Triple H attack Kane in the parking lot. They've obviously had something go on on Raw that's different from where we were last time around. We've got pipes before Undertaker and Big Show come out to make the save. And show eats a low blow from China before her and Triple H make a hasty exit. So lots of action to start with here. Yeah, really frantic opening. I was taken aback. Kane was wearing a tracksuit. And then he's attacked <laughs> by China, who's wearing an even louder tracksuit. <laughs> Some 99 fashion here. Wait till we get to X-Parks later, and then we'll really break down the style of the time. <laughs> oh, man. When we get started in the ring, we actually have a really vivid memory of mine from this time period. The big boss man cut, comes out and cuts a promo on Al Snow and dogs in general before issuing an open challenge for his hardcore title. I forgot that he worded it to say, like, if any dogs got the balls or something along those lines. But um, that probably would have set my spidey senses tingling back, you know, if it happened today. But back then, I didn't think anything of it. We get 
the British Bulldog returning to take him on. Um, and this is your classic jeans British Bulldog. Oh, I love it. coming out in a with a rather laughable Rule Britannia remix. Oh, I was about to get to that. This is the only <laughs> part of it I didn't love. And funnily enough, because I've got like this nostalgia attached to this memory, I had no memory of that theme song whatsoever. <laughs> None at all, no. Yeah, as you say, Bossman's wording was rather clever doing this challenge. He, he was talking about, If there's any dog lovers in the back, come on down. Yeah, so good. The match itself is very short. We get an outside brawl. Uh, Davy Boy blocks a chair shot and nails Boss Man with his nightstick for the one, two, three. And just to cap off this moment, we, by the way, great memory, awesome opening to the show. Al Snow comes out dressed as Leaf Cassidy. We see a video recap showing us he was Avatar on Raw. Shoves a piece of paper in the big boss man's mouth, a la Ted DiBiase back in the day, but it's not cash. And then as he's going back up the ramp looking a little bit, you know, crazy, the Bulldog just hands him the hardcore title. Uh, this is such a good memory. I just, I, I, it probably doesn't mean anything to anyone else, but I just loved this from being a kid. This is just crazy to me. Yeah, so... Al Snow's trauma has sent him trawling through all of his past gimmicks. That thing that he stuffed in the boss band's mouth, that was whatever message he wrote as Avatar on Raw. I don't know, it's probably going to turn out to be a, a challenge for the next match, which is pretty infamous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, again, so much going on here, and I, I love the boss band's verbiage, all the dog theme stuff, like... I'll new you and leave you with your tail tucked between your legs. <laughs> and the one thing that, like, this is probably, <clears throat> I'll get this out of the way early. I'm sure we'll talk about it as we go on. But the one criticism I've got of this show is there's too much going on. So the opposite of Thunder, they're just, you know, there's three or four storylines taking place in front of your eyes at the same time. And the first thing I noticed during all this uh, is we've got a Buried Alive set off to the side of the stage. Yeah, that's the next thing they focus on once that segment dies down, because we've got a first ever tag team title buried alive match. And we go to commercial, and when we come back, we've got more action, because Kane is pouring gas all over Triple H and China's car. They come out to stop him, and he pours gas all over them as they bolt before he can light them up. And he's in his ring gear now as well, so... It just in the time it took for Bossman to cut his promo, lose his title, and for Bulldog to surrender said title to Al Snow, Kane's got out of his weird tracksuit and got into his regular ring gear. Yeah, I love the fact that he's angry enough to burn them alive, but not too angry to quickly nip inside and get changed. (laughs) A little bit of a gap in logic on that one. Because, I mean, that, that match went for what? I mean, the whole segment probably went for about five minutes. Oh, at most, yeah. When we come back, we've got 
more like a bit of everything going on all at once. It's Edge and Christian taking on the New Brood. The New Brood are out with Gangrel. And Edge and Christian come through the crowd as they used to do at this time. But they've got Stevie Richards dressed as Gangrel slash Christian following them through the crowd as well. Yeah, he's doing... This is him early on in this his run doing his old ECW gimmick of just imitating people. I wish I'd gone a bit longer with that. I actually have fond memories of that. I think there's um, a funny one where he tries to get in with the acolytes and cops are beating for his troubles. I think the, he was still doing this when Heat got started on Channel 4, and I think I remember him doing one with Val Venus, maybe? I'm looking forward to seeing if we see clips of that. <laughs> uh, but speaking of clips, they showed... Edge and Christian beating the Acolytes on Raw, and they termed it a huge upset. Interesting. So the Acolytes very much still one of the dominant forces here. Um, I've got a soft spot for the Acolytes, though, so I'm not criticising them whatsoever. Mm. We get a Hurricane Rounder from Edge and a Head Scissors from Jeff Hardy. A Bulldog from Edge, and then Gangrel hits a clothesline on the floor. Cheap shot. Jeff Hardy runs and does like his swanton, but he does it from the ring outside to the floor, uh, which is really cool. We get a lion salt from Matt Hardy and then a four-man brawl. We get poetry in motion before Stevie gets in and stops Gangrel with a super kick. We get a double-team side slam slash reverse DDT from Edge and Christian, and that's enough to pick up the 1-2-3 in a good but far too short tag team match. You know how you mentioned when we were talking about Thunder earlier, we're probably going to be stuck in some patterns here of hating Thunder and liking SmackDown. Yeah. I feel like we're very quickly developing a pattern of SmackDown not taking very long at all to better Thunder in the ring. Yeah, this was a step up on anything we saw on Thunder. I mean, I liked that six-man tag match on Thunder, but the pace and the quality of the guys here was far superior. Yeah, absolutely. Their offense in this match just gave it this nice bit of pizzazz. It got a bit sloppy, but you know it was fine for the time given. You were saying earlier about Matt doing that lion salt. He went up to the top rope and springboarded off it. That was incredible. Yeah, really good stuff for a short period of time. We don't get to rest on the match, though, because Kane comes out and takes out the brood with three choke slams and says he's going to burn the flesh from Triple H's body. And Michael Cole earns my other dick move of the week where he says... I can't wait to see Kane set Triple H on fire. What a prick. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what an actual prick. There's selling your audience on the show of the possibilities of what's going to happen on your show. And then there's just having no human decency. <laughs> I like I'd like to see Kane choke slam him, maybe, but you know, burn him alive I could probably pass on. <laughs> Cole as well. Oh. He mentioned talking to JR, and JR is adamant that Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to be here tonight. Oh, yeah, we'll, and we'll revisit that topic later as well. <laughs> Lillian Garcia backstage tries to talk to the boss man who, uh, sorry, to the bulldog who ignores her. And then when we come back from a commercial, she's with Triple H, who says he's going to take on Kane tonight. After that, X-Pac comes out and he's wearing shorts with uh, like denim shorts, boots, a tucked in t-shirt. And he looks like the illegitimate love child of two people he was closely associated with, Jerry Lynn and Just Incredible. <laughs> My X-Pac figure I had growing up had pretty much this 
gear. He definitely had that shirt as well as the, the, the X pack with the little uh, blades on the X. Yeah, not his best look, this one. No, probably not. He then proceeds to call out Kane, and Kane, who's been through the ringer already tonight, he's been assaulted, he's tried to murder someone, gets dumped. That's a bit harsh, like, a bit of timing. Like, he's having a rough day here, x Park. <laughs> I know, but x Park's just got to be a man of his word here. You know, he, he said, don't get involved in my shit last week, and Kane got involved in his shit, so... But, you know, he's still trying to motivate him. Like, his whole motive here is Kane's got a title match. He he can win this match. He just needs to realise it. Yeah, he's still um, playing the friend, but he doesn't want to be babysat by Kane anymore. Mm. Do you see who was looking on in the back as well? Undertaker in the Big Show. Yeah, and Big Show washing himself with a very dirty towel. At least they were watching the monitor at a reasonable angle, though. Yeah. There's an awful sign in the front row as well. Big red R word and a midget. Ooh, definitely a sign of the times, that one. Mm-hmm. We then backstage see Jericho and Finkel sneak in dressed as luchadors for our comedy interlude here. <laughs> what purpose was that? If they're going to hide, they probably don't need a disguise. I mean, it didn't <laughs> stop anyone from wondering who it was, but it made me laugh. <laughs> and then, did you see who was sponsoring SmackDown this week? Oh, I didn't take note of it. It was the JVC Boombox and oh, Final yes. Fantasy VIII. Get in my life, 1999. <laughs> We then have the Holly Cousins come out. We've got Crash here now. And Hardcore challenges anyone for a super heavyweight fight. China comes out to accept the challenge, but Hardcore Holly says if she was a man, then she might qualify for being a super heavyweight because of the 200-pound sack of silicone on her chest. <laughs> Jesus. Very, very condescending here. Like, even like for the moment she came out, Bob's all, hold on, sweetheart. It's very much sowing the seeds for a China babyface turn coming up very soon. Yes, there's a lot going on with her. There's a lot of trying to achieve all while still associating her with Triple H. Yeah, she's the sidekick of the biggest heel in the company whilst turning babyface off to the side. It's it's a very strange time. I actually... One of the things I've been looking forward to in this timeline, um, on a side note, is seeing how organically the split from Triple H actually happens. Yeah, I have absolutely no memory of it, so this is going to be interesting. In my mind, they kind of just one week weren't associated anymore without any breakup, but I'm curious to see if I'm right about that or not. Um, we get the match because we get um, China Nails Hardcore with the scale, so that's enough to get the match started. We get a clothesline from Hardcore, and then he goes to argue with Crash, allowing China to hit a DDT. But the match doesn't go anywhere because Jeff Jarrett comes out and attacks China. Billy Gunn, however, makes the save and picks up China, checking on her, and hits her with the famous before leaving her. Still a little bit salty about her stealing his Intercontinental title match, I guess. I guess so, yeah. This is all a bit too busy for me, to be honest. Yeah, there's too much going on for one segment. We've got... Hardcore and Crash, of course, brawling at the end of this as well. So we've got the feud between them. 
Hardcore and China, China and Jeff Jarrett, and China and Billy Gunn all squeezed into about three minutes. Yeah, I'm just like, settle down here, come on. After this, we see X-Park leaving as we go to a commercial, and out with one and in with two because the Rock and Sock Connection arrive, which I'll splice a little bit of their chatter in here because it's quite funny as they do show up to the building. The Rock understand this correctly. The Rock let you ride in the trunk of his limousine and you're complaining? Well, I'm not complaining. It's just uh, getting a little woozy. Some... Rock, Rock, what do you think of the new shirt? What does The Rock think of your new shirt? Well, The Rock likes your new shirt. Looks great on you. <laughs> Better yet, do you like your new shirt? I like it. It doesn't matter if you like your shirt. So <laughs> last time I fall for that one, Rock. <laughs> you're not getting me again. I got to steal that one sometimes. <laughs> That's good. Doesn't matter what you think. Yeah, great segment. Uh, Mick's got his testicular fortitude on, and of course, Roxol. You know what, Mick? What do you, do you like your shirt? Well, as a matter of fact, it doesn't matter if you like your shirt. Oh, that's a good one. I got. I got to use that one day. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting me again. <laughs> From there, we go to Bradshaw taking on Bubba Ray Dudley, and this has got to be one of those matches where the Dudleys earned their stripes because Bradshaw and Bubba just beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. (laughs) They beat each other up so hard, they break the space-time continuum in this match. Do you see Bubba's face welt and bruise in real time as Bradshaw hits the right side of his... uh, Sorry, the left side of Bubba's face with live rounds throughout this match? Oh, God. Yeah, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, you can see it bruising up as Bradshaw's just punching him as hard as he can in the cheek. It is um, not pretty at all. Uh, well, you're going to have to forgive me for not being able to keep track of that because there's two spots of terrible, terrible editing here. There's one instance where they suddenly, um, they're suddenly running different ropes, different sides of the ring. And then there's a second time where the Irish whip just completely reverses direction. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I must have been taking notes. But um, there's not a lot of moves to describe in this match. We get a clothesline from Hell, and shortly after that, Devon comes in and we get a four-man brawl for a DQ. And officials have to come out and break it all up because it is looking pretty ugly. It was a pretty ugly match all around, really. Yeah, nice and stiff, but... Terrible ending and terrible editing. I think um, Devon and Bubba, when they came back for their last run in WWE, they talked about this and you know, that being paired with the Acolytes was a big test and they just had to take their lumps and like it. Like There was one backstage segment where they just got the ever-loving piss beat up out of them and they just got right back up after the... Uh, they cut away and just shook their hand and thanked them for the segment <laughs> and Bradshaw and Farouk were like oh, oh, fuck, <laughs> okay You can definitely see that coming here because yeah, Bubba did not back down a bit, it was great um, After that we go to Lily and try and interview the big boss man who cuts a very, very shouty promo in her face, not one of his best efforts though <laughs> He talks about When I skinned Pepper, he looked like a squirrel but when I skin the bulldog and house, no, they're going to look like pigs. <laughs> yeah, not his best effort. Um, and speaking of awesome promos, we get test out with Stephanie McMahon. And Stephanie calls out Linda, Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe. 
Yeah, and they come out to real American like in the video games. <laughs> Posing on the way down, which did make me giggle a little bit. <laughs> they announced their wedding date is going to be Monday, October 11th. They invite Linda, Pat, and Jerry, but then, you know, probably make it less meaningful when they invite the, the audience as well. <laughs> and then the Mean Street Posse come out with Terry Runnels, and this is a pairing I do not have any memory of whatsoever. Oh, I have no clue what they're doing together, no. Shane McMahon, however, comes out, and he puts a stop to it, funnily enough, kicks a posse out the ring, apologises to Stephanie and Andrew, and they all kiss and make up for a little feel-good segment. Yeah, face turned out of nowhere here from Shane. Um, new direction for him. I love that the fans were chanting asshole at him, and he just let it soak in, and he's like, yeah, I deserve that, yeah. Mankind, the WWF tag team titles are on the line. Now, unfortunately, it looks like you're going to have to defend them, The Undertaker and The Big Show's way, in a buried alive match. Hold the microphone right here. Hold it down. The Rock, let, let The Rock ask you a quick question real quick. Do you have a warm, fuzzy feeling in your stomach right now? Goosebumps running up and down your spine? Well, goosebump your ass on out of here. The Rock says this, Undertaker and Big Show, finally The Rock is going to beat, The Rock and Mankind are going to beat you two candy asses at your own game. And tonight, The Rock is going to shovel the dirt, shovel the dirt, shovel the dirt on your two candy asses. And when it's all said and done, all the smoke is cleared, all the dust is settled, and the millions of Rock's fans are through chanting his name, Rocky, Rocky. Listen to this. The Rock says this, he's going to undo all the dirt right out, take that shovel, turn it sideways, and stick it straight up your candy ass. I've been thinking about this match all day, and when I think about putting two tons of earth over The Undertaker and The Big Show, I get kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling myself, and I like it. I like it. I really like it. Ah, 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 buried alive. Buried alive. Oh no. It's a PG. Well, there's going to be no. From there, we've, as it's talking about not having the best promos, we go backstage again and we've got Lillian with the Rock and Sock connection and they do cut a good promo. Mankind ends it by singing uh, very Bee Gees inspired, Buried Alive, Buried Alive, which got a good gig out of me. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Somehow I think the um, the gravitas of the match might have been dead if he'd sung that in 96 before the first one. <laughs> it, it doesn't match his classically trained pianist gimmick. <laughs> from there we go to the match that's been building all night. Triple H, who's got China with him again. Uh, she's recovered from the Famouser and is carrying a sledgehammer. Taking on Kane, who is carrying a um, blowtorch, just, you know, to take the violence up a notch. Oh, he, he promised it. Michael Cole was probably pissing himself with excitement here. Oh, he's got the blowtorch! Are we going to see seared human flesh? <laughs> we'll see a couple of other fans rather happy for this match at ringside as well. Did you spot them? No, go ahead. Muller and May, they look quite good for this one. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> I catch you drift now. <laughs> We've got Kane, Kane clotheslines both of them. He's on a lot of offense early. 
gets the goozle before China gets on the mic and says, I'll talk to X-Park. We used to be friends. And that distraction allows Triple H to hit a low blow and then a knee to the balls. Michael Cole tells us again that Stone Cold may be here because JR's told him. And Jerry Lawler says, you're just like JR, a big Stone Cold mark. Oh, boy. Didn't think you could say that on TV. Didn't my mate Matt Stryker get in trouble for that one? I'm marking up, bro! (laughs) We get a classic high knee from Triple H for a two before they brawl along the outside. Kane hits a DDT and his top rope clothesline. Then a choke slam, but China hits him in the back with a sledgehammer, and he stumbles into a pedigree for the one, two, three. Triple H gets a hammer for some more offense, but Undertaker and Big Show come out once again to save him. And um, what have I got here? I can't read my notes again. Big Show and Undertaker run him off again. Yes. Oh, hang on. Yep, so they run them off. Sorry, I'm into the next part. And we go backstage to see Ken Shamrock looking for Chris Jericho. Sorry, I couldn't read my own writing, which happens far too often on this show. <laughs> Did you spot at one point they were facing one side of the ring and the Sunday night heat apron was still showing? No, I didn't spot that. I know I was giving thunder shit for their apron earlier too. I feel like a real <laughs> bastard now. Yeah, it's very sloppy. Uh, did you like that match? Um, It was very paint by numbers, but... I was a big Kane fan back in the day, but I think 99 and then especially in the 2000s, the thought of him ever being a real credible threat to the world title was getting less and less as the months went on. Mm, yeah, that's true. I, I think I agree with you here. This is mostly routine, but pretty solid. The finish was a bit of a cliche. Yeah, it's as expected, really, for this match. We then get Ken Shamrock coming to the ring to call out Chris Jericho. He um, messes up his promo. when He says something along the lines of um, option one, you know, come out and face me like a man, or option two, I'll come and find you, but I know that you're going to take option one or something along those lines, and Lawler makes fun of him for it as well. Ken Shamrock's not the best promo guy in the world. He's absolutely not the best promo. He promises to beat him up like a stepchild. (laughs) Jesus. Someone's got some issues there. He then walks up the ramp because Jericho's music comes on and Jericho gets lowered into a sh- into the ring in a shark cage behind him. Shamrock all along is staring up the ramp for far too long for this to... Like, it looked a bit sloppy. They probably should have taken advantage of it not being live and cut a few seconds off that for me. They argue and Shamrock's trying to get into the cage and swiping at Jericho who just keeps moving to the other side. And then once Shamrock is getting angrier and angrier, he starts calling for Harold to raise the cage. But of course, we go backstage and Harold is arguing with Lillian Garcia. And this allows Shamrock time to bend the bars and drag Jericho out before officials come out and make the save and they eat the customary belly-to-belly suplexes when Shamrock has snapped. Yeah, one of them was Ken Patera. What? How did I miss the, that? The, the first kidding. guy, the, the one that's the agent instead of the referee, that was Ken Patera getting belly a belly suplexed. Ken? Oh Patera? no, maybe sorry, I have no idea. He no, came hang on, back. maybe it's maybe I'm getting mixed up here. Maybe it's a uh, Tony Guerrilla. Oh, Tony okay, Guerrilla. Yes, yeah. it was Tony Guerrilla. I was gonna say Ken Patera. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, I liked how Jericho but... claimed that. The cage was protecting Shamrock from Jericho and not the other way around. What's... Yeah, absolutely. It was, um... 
this segment though, it did make Shamrock look like a monster. I didn't mind this, to be fair. I was all right with it. Poor old Fink paid the price, though. Yeah, as always. (laughs) Yeah, so Jericho just leaves the building during the break and just flagrantly fires old Harold. Poor Harold. He's not going to be smacked down anymore. (laughs) We then um, go to a commercial. Um, When we come back, as you said, he he gets fired. But we've got Jeff Jarrett comes out and says he doesn't want to face China. He then, he's got Deborah and Miss Kitty with him, of course. He brings Muller into the ring. Um, She backs China when Jarrett asks who would win if if a man faced a woman. And for her trouble, she eats a sickening guitar shot. And then May comes in for the save. And she gets locked in the figure four as Deborah and Kitty plead with Jeff Jarrett to stop beating up senior citizen women. (laughs) No save from China. No, what a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, man, this was a... That... That guitar shot on Mauler, though. She was a trooper to take that. Oh, she'll be used to it. I loved how Jarrett returned to his old gimmick of spelling things out. Like, he was just... Loves loves a good spelling beat, as old Double J. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, he was out talking about a W-O-M-A-N. Oh, yeah, but um, this this is actually another one of those segments that I, I do have strong memories of from childhood. I just, yeah, the vision of, of Mae Young in that um in that figure four is something that I definitely vividly remembered. I'm quite interested in what they showed of Raw when Jarrett wrestled Jackie. That looked quite good. Yeah, it looks like he put a bit of a beat down on Jackie, but we know she's a tough customer, so she may have got some offense in, but we won't know for a little while yet. We get a um, Val Venus promo on Steve Blackman here, and um, what's the, the most polite way to say this? He's comparing Steve Blackman's tools of the trade to Val Venus's tools of the trade. Yeah, apparently in Val's industry, they don't use instruments of pain, and he basically implies that he's going to masturbate this woman with some nunchucks. <laughs> I just, the look on her face, like, oh, that's a good idea. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, no, I just, I just, there's no way of me nicely describing that. I'm glad you checked in. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, man, the less said about this, yeah. the better. <laughs> we then go to the bur- Buried Alive match. It's... Undertaker and the Big Show taking on the Rock and Sock Connection for the tag team titles. Um, this is a pretty big time main event. It's no Goldberg Bam Bam Bigelow, oh, is it? Well. <laughs> it? It's certainly no rematch from Slambury. Definitely not. We've um, we've got a four man brawl to start with before the Big Show chokeslams mankind. Rock hits Undertaker with a chair. We get a low blow um, on show with the shovel. But as they're throwing him in the grave, Undertaker makes a save. Lots more brawling. And then the spot of the night, Jesus Christ, the Big Show takes Mankind from the the stage and just launches him. He bounces on, like, the grave area and bounces into the grave. What 
was he thinking taking that move? Jesus. Unreal. I was absolutely awestruck by this. It was absolutely amazing. I just, oh my God. This has got to be one of those bumps that like, it doesn't get the replay value of any of his famous ones, but it must've hurt just as much as some of the big ones. That was, it was brutal. He must've like legitimately flowed about six to eight feet in the air before bouncing on like a dirt mound. I know it's incredible. And like you say, I'm shocked. It hasn't had as big a, a replay value as, as, as some of his other famous moments. Cause it was fantastic. And you can hear him bounce. Like, it's just sick. Yeah, just unreal. Anywho, that's not even the finish of the match. <laughs> we get a Mr. Socko claw from the grave for Mankind to save himself. Triple H attacks the Rock backstage, but Kane chases him off. Undertaker then has time to come out and save the Big Show from being beaten. Um, he gets nailed with the shovel. Rock comes out and brawls with the Undertaker. Triple H comes out again and nails Big Show in the back of the head with the sledgehammer for some reason, and then um, buries Mankind. So we've got new tag team champions. Why Triple H felt the need to take out the Big Show before helping him win the belts, I don't quite understand. Um, but this all, like I guess the, the um, Mankind being buried and Big Show being out cold allows a, an ambulance to come in. And out the back of the ambulance, we get Stone Cold Steve Austin. He... Um, gets Triple H into the back of it, takes him away, and then in a precursor to the whole Rock NWO angle, drives a truck into the ambulance that Triple H is supposed to be inside. What a chaotic ending to this show. Oh, my God. That's a show closer and a half, I'll tell you. May have been a little bit too much going on, but holy shit, the star power in this match. If you think... The tag title match was enough star power for one main event, but you add in Kane, Triple H, China, and Stone Cold Steve Austin to the mix. What just what a mix of main events as you've got going on there? Yeah, for sure. Um, this was just a big watchable brawl that was elevated by Big Show and Mankind's graveside spots, and of course that dumping in the grave spot in particular. Triple H's motives being somewhat confused was a bit of a uh, a downside, really. Obviously, Kane and uh, Undertaker and Big Show have been trying to dissuade him from pursuing Kane, and so he wanted a, a bit of a receipt for that, but then help them win the tag titles, just, yeah, a bit mixed up. Um, great appearance of Austin as well. There was one dodgy bit where... Do you know how in Buried Alive matches where they have that little um, crevice or that hood to protect the person getting buried? Yeah, yeah. Big Show, when he was helping mankind get into that hood, it kind of looked like we were back to the Valvina segment with some of the movements he was making. (laughs) There was a... He was a little bit um, bear on a rabbit in that <laughs> A little bit, he? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my yeah, you're God. damn right about this being very busy because you missed the smack of the night with Duke Nukem Zero Hour on N64. I don't even remember seeing that when you mentioned it. That's how much was going on here. It was just a replay of China hitting Kane with the hammer to help Triple H retain earlier. There you go, yeah, just 
chaos going on at the main event of SmackDown. But um, overall, for me, another enjoyable show. Like, I enjoyed watching this. I still marked out at several moments. I think looking back with, you know, 20 year later critical eyes i can see how there was too much going on in certain segments and they tried to cram too much in but it still made for a hell of a spectacle and i still loved watching it so i yeah probably still at the gushing stage of fact of smackdown here for me still yeah i think this was a noticeable step up from this week nothing special really is going on in the ring but it was newsworthy and it was fun exactly well, that's a probably a pretty good way to describe SmackDown, newsworthy and fun. So, with that in mind, should we head over and compare the two and pick ourselves yeah, a Yeah, let's get into it. So, the, the toughest one for me is the crowd heat. I obviously went with the WWF, but it's hard to say by how much, because WCW, I just didn't believe any of the noise I heard from their crowd. Yeah, WWF is the obvious choice here. WCW was very kind of mixed in terms of, you know, sometimes things would be piped in. Sid is a heel, but he kind of got treated like a face. Rick Steiner's a heel, but he kind of got treated like a face. Malenko went a bit heelish, even though his whole stable was a face, and just a bit wishy-washy and messed up, really. Absolutely, and... um. I guess, well, you might actually, I'm, I'm going to throw this one to you first because you did pick out a few flaws in SmackDown, but who did you go with for production value? I'm going to, uh, I think I still have to edge it to SmackDown. There was a, a couple of things that, there were really brief moments that took away from things. Thunder wasn't all that much wrong with it, but it... Like, something about the style of the production they have and, like, we were talking about the audio levels of it and stuff. Just... It did look very dark mm, as well. Yeah, it just comes across as second class all around, really. And, of course, some of the the network edits as well, like, really let it down, like, especially around Sid's promos, just makes that segment next to useless. I guess one that I may be closer for you then is because you did point out some really good pay-per-view build. What did you think about storyline advancement? Did did WCW do enough to earn a point or did you go with SmackDown again there? I think I still have to give the edge to SmackDown, really. WCW, yeah, they, they did a really good job of outlining what their pay-per-view was, but in terms of what actually happened in the ring it didn't particularly move all that much forward it was just kind of like a holding pattern just to make sure that people were aware there was a pay-per-view but not to do anything that would you know exhaust people before the pay-per-view i agree i think there's a difference here between being good for thunder and being good and smackdown still just kicked ass by comparison um the next category i think the exact same thing characters we just talked about the star power that was in the main event for smackdown and they they blitzed this one for me there's no comparison whatsoever when you're seeing um was it blaze and bird taking on sid or you can be seeing like jeff jarrett billy gunn Moolah may miss kitty hardcore and crash holly in a segment like it's not even a comparison, and that wasn't one of the better segments of the show. The returning Bulldog, Kane, Undertaker, Big Show, you name it. I think SmackDown really walked with this one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's an easy win for SmackDown. It's like I was talking about earlier. 
Thunder, when you think about it, was only really missing the people in the world title build, but it still came across as like a, a, a B show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at the quality of people that are in um, title feuds at the moment in WCW, like Lenny and Lodi and Kaz Hayashi, like that doesn't belong on a pay-per-view in a title match, for, in my opinion. I like Rick Steiner, but a singles title on his waist in 99, I'm not so sure about. Um, just a bunch of the guys they were focusing on, they might be being focused on, but to me, they're not comparable to some of the guys we see on SmackDown in similar no. spots. And that leads us to match quality. I think we both have already pretty much set our piece on this earlier in in the in the um, show here. I definitely think SmackDown romped it, but do you disagree with me, or is it a clean sweep? No, for sure, SmackDown had it really. Um, they had a, a fun main event, solid WWF title match, and the Hardys and Edge and Christian just never go wrong, really. Absolutely, and we see a rare. 10 for 10. We don't actually see that number very often. Um, but yeah, SmackDown was just miles better than Thunder. There's no really way of dressing that up, is there? I mean, that's why one lasted and one didn't. But this was a clear-cut uh, occasion of SmackDown kicking Thunder's ass. Yeah, WWF definitely mean business at this stage. And WCW don't seem to care. That's probably the best way to describe this this week's episode in a nutshell WWF mean business and WCW don't seem to care that pretty much summed it up Dunk well that will do it for our show today Um, another enjoyable watch I'll tell you what like this is probably in all the time we've been recording together I would have to say when you gave me the prompt that hey I'm keen to watch these because I'm you know life's cleared up a bit for me this week this is probably the quickest we've gone from having that message exchanged to recording a show so they must have both been enjoyable and watchable if nothing else oh yeah this was a breeze to get through really um I got through it all in one afternoon and uh, yeah Smackdown being a bit busy kind of have to stop start taking notes a lot of the time but i still get through it all right and thunder seems to be like a good 15 to 20 minutes shorter than regular two-hour shows are so that helps oh absolutely i love looking at how long you're on these shows when i start to think how much pain i'm in for (laughs) but no i'm really enjoying this current timeline and storyline we're on here i know um part of it will get worse as it goes on but some of it's going to get better as well so i'm actually pretty keen to keep chugging along with these i'm enjoying it at the moment yeah this is really going to help me firm up some of the timelines of things that happened in this period which i'm not all that familiar with to be honest fair fair but no so far so good and i'm pretty keen to keep sticking at these ones but in the meantime dunk what have you got going on over on your side of the world other than the fact that you can't really go anywhere at the moment well over uh, uh then now whatever i think we've had two episodes since both of us last caught up we had guests from our friends at last match standing the podcast that relive rank and review the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time they all along with myself and Kyle, nominated our favourite wrestling tapes from growing up, and we put them all head-to-head and had a really nice chat about that. And we also continued our Tape Trader Diaries series with the UK version of No Mercy from 
May of 1999. Uh, lots of Undertaker's sartorial emergencies and um, <laughs> the UK being treated like second-class citizens. I'm also due to record with Kyle this week. We're going to be looking at the October 30th, 2000 edition of Monday Night Raw, back when we're in the middle of Rikishi running down Austin for The Rock. Ooh, you're um, you're coming close to an episode of SmackDown that I nominated for the the um, Tape Trader series as well, so we're going to have to catch up at that at some point Ooh, in the future. Okay. I've got, I've not got the exact date off the top of my head, but I, I will be able to find it pretty easily because it's one of them awesome childhood memories of just randomly being given an episode of SmackDown at school that I had no expectation about around getting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so good times. But I'm looking forward to um, hearing all of that. Um, as always, if you haven't yet, go and check out Then Now Whatever podcast. Um, give them a follow on Twitter and check out the show because it's always highly enjoyable. Um, you've got Duncan, obviously, who is always here with me recording, and Kyle, who really defends Triple H to the point of it being highly entertaining. So you definitely need to go and check them out. <laughs> yeah, and for sure, you definitely, if you haven't done so already, you need to check out when we all got together with the first Thunder in SmackDown head-to-head, because it's one of the best things we've done together, and it's one of the least listened to things we've done together, so you definitely need to catch up there. Yeah, I don't, for the life of me, I actually don't understand how the listens for my show go, because episodes where I'm on my own randomly spike, and then episodes where I've got guests spend a while to grow and then randomly i'll look back and just one episode has had an extra hundred listens from last time i checked i do not understand it <laughs> there was at one point our helena cell and bound for glory episode had 366 list no, have 333 listeners i'm like oh that's appropriate it's half of 666 and it's the helena cell <laughs> <laughs> yeah who knows i um i really don't check as often as I used to now. I know there's a good core of a couple of hundred people that listen to all the episodes, so I keep recording for them and wonder if they'll ever make themselves known. We're only about 100 listens away from matching our best ever year of a podcast. So if you haven't checked out our show already, I definitely recommend it. We're at TNW on Twitter and at TNW... Oh, sorry, we're at TNW Podcast on Twitter and TNW underscore podcast on Instagram if you want to keep a track of what we're doing. Most deaf. And um, keep your ears tuned here as well, because I've got a solo episode of Raw and Nitro from 96 coming up very soon, um, wrapping up the storyline around the pay-per-views, because they're always out of sync in that day. And um, I'll be back on with Richie for some more 1993 Raw and WCW Saturday Night in the next couple of weeks as well. And if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and check out my episode um, with Steve from PPW reviewing the title belts of the 90s as well. Oh, definitely, for sure. Um, of all, I'll have less of a European title slander thank you very much <laughs> noted i do have that belt and that's one of the few i paid full price for so i definitely wasn't as hard on it as nice. steve was <laughs> awesome well thanks again everybody for listening thanks dunk for jumping on and we will speak to you all again sure, very cheers soon. guys <laughs>